Thank you for tuning into this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're in a series right now called Foolish Things, a study in 1 Corinthians. Now in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul draws a sharp distinction between the way of Jesus and the way of the world. He tells us that Jesus' way looks like foolishness. Even though Paul wrote in the first century, the way of Jesus still seems foolish to many people today. So why should anyone follow it? Join us for this series and learn why being foolish is actually the wisest thing you can do. Once again, thanks for listening and feel free to check us out at tablechurchdsn.org. have a seat. We're continuing our reading in 1 Corinthians today, if you want to grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, just raise a hand and our ushers are in the back and they can bring one to you as a gift. Today's reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 23. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. The word of the Lord. I always like to say that, see the liturgicals come out, come out to play. Good morning. Thank you, Ivy. Welcome, everybody, whether you're here in person or online. Welcome. It's good to see all of you this morning. My name is Megan Cook. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Table Church, and we are in a series called Foolish Things. We're walking through the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians every week. This is our last week of this series, and we are going to get right into the text this morning. So if you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me, and like Ivy said, if you don't have a Bible, we will put one in your hands. (laughs) And if you want one um, for now that you just want to borrow, raise your hand, someone will bring you a Bible. Okay, so we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 16. It says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. You together are that temple. That's where we're going to focus our eyes today, okay? Paul is using language here to create a picture for us. In this letter, Paul keeps referencing the group of Christians in his audience, and he's saying, you You all that are hearing my voice, you all who follow Jesus, Jews and Gentiles, you, you all, you are this one thing. You're the temple of God, okay? Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and the Spirit dwells in you? Now, historically, up to this point, Jews understood the temple to be the place where God's Spirit dwells, the place we go when we want to get to God. And first, for all the time before this, that they know of, God tabernacled with his people. He would move through the desert with them 
And then eventually, his presence would rest in a solid, stationary temple. That's all they've known so far. Jews would travel incredible journeys to get to the temple. God dwells in a temple. People go to the temple to get close to the presence of God. And now, Paul is saying, you, you all, you people of the resurrection, Jew and Gentile, you now are that temple. You are the temple of God. People don't go to the temple to be near to God anymore because now in Christ, God's people carry his presence within them. Huge shift. Jews and Gentiles, you don't have to go to the temple to be near to God. God comes to you through his people, and in Christ, God draws near to people through you. In chapter 6, Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In other words, you have agency over your own body, but if your body belongs to God, you no longer decide what is best for your body. Your body and every way you experience life in it is directed by the one you know made it. All right, this is what Paul is talking about in Romans 12. He says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Over and over, Paul uses this picture of the temple of one body in Christ. You all together are renamed and relocated into the kingdom while you still live here and now. The people of God are the temple of God, a living, breathing, moving temple. Your body is a holy place. Paul is helping Christians detach themselves from what has been, that God is in one place so they can begin to embody this new kingdom paradigm. God's temple is in every place you are. Salvation is not an escape hatch, is it? Life with Jesus isn't a way out of the world. It's a completely new way to operate in the world. That was true for the Christians in this letter. It's true for us today. So what do we do with that? Let's take an issue from American culture and just hold it up to Paul's words here about the body of Christ. Okay, so let's step back and work to get some prophetic distance, leave some room for the spirit between us and this thing, okay? So there's a way that culture has taught us and is teaching us to think about these things. Now let's just step back and look at it, try to get it as new as possible, okay? Here it is. We all grown-ups, we ready? My body, my choice. Okay, that phrase, my body, my choice. Okay, you say that in the room, it gets a little hotter, right? Whew, okay. My body, my choice. That statement belongs more on one side of the political aisle than the other, but the sentiment is certainly shared by everyone, right? Nobody wants other people or any entity telling them what they have to do. None of us want that. I don't want that, I guess, uh, you know, probably 100% of the people in this room don't want that either, right? Nobody wants that. Completely understandable sentiment. And one that seems highly valuable to people today. Okay, so like, let's just talk about Iowa. Let's talk about Iowa. Everywhere I go in Iowa, somebody, somehow, some way, is telling me to leave them alone. Okay? Let me do whatever I want to do. All right? That is a high value, high value for that here in Iowa. Okay? I get it. 
Very reasonable. Okay, very reasonable thing. But I think it's critical for us to understand this as Christians. This is for people who follow Jesus, okay? This is some in-the-family talk. I'm only talking to Christians right now. Christians operate within the structures of this world, but we keep allegiance in the kingdom. The first privilege of the Christian is to be renamed and relocated into kingdom life while we still live here. That is why steady, relational, biblical discipleship matters so much. As soon as we meet Jesus, that renaming, relocating transformation begins. We need help learning who we are. Learning to let go of how we thought things were, how things have always been, slowly grabbing on to how things work in the kingdom. Have you met Jesus? Have you been folded in, bought, redeemed, commissioned into the kingdom? You have a new name and a new home and a new paradigm for life that transcends everything the world knows about belonging, freedom, autonomy, relationships. Christians live and work in the world with an entirely other governing principle. We have to stop expecting this to make sense to the rest of the world, okay? They are not there yet with us. Letting God do whatever he wants to do in us, to us, through us, that is foolish, dangerous talk. Most Christians won't even accept it. We can't expect the world to understand kingdom values, but if we live them out, the world will experience the life of God through the people of God. Now, my body, my choice is good reasoning, but in practice, it will eventually fall short somehow. I like being in charge of myself, but I'm not always particularly good at it. If I was the one most qualified to tell myself what's best for me at all times, God help me. I do have my limits. You do too. Prizing personal autonomy and authority above all else is just another way to become a slave. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Romans 6, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Whether I'm in charge or some other entity is, any authority other than God will eventually overrun me in some way. The kingdom operates differently. In the kingdom, all authority is God's, and submission to God makes us slaves to freedom. This is a big point for today. The Christian life is a shift from self-sovereignty to God-sovereignty. The Christian life is a shift from self-sovereignty to God-sovereignty. Leave where you've belonged and belong to me. Abandon everything that you've known, everything that has felt safe, so far, and trust me, that is life with God. It's as if upon meeting Jesus, we get this whole new operating system that we have to take on, a whole new OS. Everything reroutes and reorients around a completely new set of operating rules. Paul uses this many people as one moving temple language to introduce a completely new OS to the people of God. It's 
foolishness to those who haven't lived it yet. And it would be foolish to try to force it into someone's life apart from a move of God to accomplish that. The Christian life is a shift from self-sovereignty to God's sovereignty. My body, my choice, shifts to God's body, God's choice. That governs how we rule our lives by letting him do it, not us. We use our autonomy to submit to God's ultimate authority. My body, my choice shifts to God's body, God's choice. That rules us. It's not for everybody. That's just for people in the family of God. This is family talk. Okay? We live by God's body, God's choice. Orient your whole life around that. Don't demean a world that doesn't understand. Demonstrate something different. Paul says in verse 27, but God chose, 1 Corinthians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 27, sorry, I'm getting lost. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Stop trying to make kingdom values reasonable to people who haven't experienced the power of God yet. It will not work. Wherever Christians have lived, anywhere, in any culture, any time, past or present, some things about following Jesus have been foolish dangerous, scandalous, or illegal, wherever you are, something about following Jesus will rub culture the wrong way. Something will get you in trouble. Something will be absolutely absurd to your neighbors, make you an outcast. So this intense issue for our culture in America today, my body, my choice, the right to life, culture is constantly teaching us how to think and talk about it. So this is where discipleship in the way of Jesus is so important to stop and let the Spirit give us some prophetic distance, to detach ourselves from American culture and just let real life stand with Paul's words for our bodies. Not to make judgments yet, just let them stand together. Let's use a couple of case studies from my own life, okay? I'm not going to call anybody else out. I will just talk from my own life. I'm going to give you two stories from my life and then walk you through how the gospel has helped me frame them and understand them, okay? Here's the first story. We're going to have a picture of my daughter, Grace, on the screen. Uh, You can can tell that Grace and my husband, Jim, were dressed for different occasions. Um, Jim is working on the building. Grace is going to prom. So this is my daughter, Grace. Grace just turned 19, She is going to start her freshman year at the University of Iowa in a couple of weeks. So she's a Hawkeye. And um, yes, there's usually a whoop. (laughs) This is Grace. Getting ready to move into college. That's a big change for all of us in our house. But uh, this story is from 20 years ago. As As I sat down to think about this, I couldn't believe it was 20 years ago already. But it was 20 years ago, the fall of 2002. My husband Jim and I had been married for um, maybe five or six months at this point, and I realized we were expecting a baby, okay? And um, our insurance would not cover clinic visits until I went to the clinic to have this confirmed. So I went to the clinic to get this done, and I went to go see my doctor. He's an amazing doctor. I like him very much, and um, my results are ready. I'm sitting in the room, and... 
my nurse and my doctor both walk in the room and they're looking kind of serious. And um, I was handed a referral card to Planned Parenthood. I remember, I can still see it in my mind, the logo up on top. And then there's a spot to write my name and my name was written on the card and there's a phone number I can call to reach a person who can help me get an appointment as soon as possible. And I remember thinking, what? And, I, and so I just reacted and I said, oh, I don't need a referral. I'm just here to get a positive test so that I can get insurance to kick in so I can see my doctor here at this clinic. And the doctor, completely surprised by this, he just says, oh, well, kids are great if you want them. And this was just his response. He was just a little bit shocked. He didn't understand the situation. So the nurse is completely mortified. She feels terrible. She has just read this situation all the wrong way. She had inferred some things that I never said. She felt terrible. So she leaves, realizing she'd read the situation wrong. She comes back a couple minutes later with this tote bag with the clinic logo on the front. And it's full of like magazines and brochures and free samples and instructions and things like that. All to let me know that every single choice I make right now is incredibly important because it's not just me anymore. Okay, there could be nothing more important than being careful about what you eat, the vitamins you take, how hot your showers are, what kind of cheese you get, you know, those types of things because nothing could be more important than this person. Okay, that was just an incredible reversal. Incredible. It just gave me a bit of whiplash for a minute. Everything hinged on my choice, referral card or tote bag. I got to choose. And either choice was going to be supported. I got to decide what was happening here. A very heavy value decision was placed in my hands, and that is completely reasonable to the world, and I understand why. It makes a lot of sense to me. I understand why the world fights for this. But if I'm a living, moving temple of God, and I believe that every life holds that potential, I have to step back and I have a completely other OS that rules how I think about these things. I completely understand why people in the world fight for this, but I also see it from a different angle. Okay? I operate with values that will not fit neatly within what the world gives me to work with. Okay? Here's a second story. A couple of years later, fast forward a couple of years, Jim and I are in a new city. We're at a new church. And there's this man, his name's David. He, he's a dad. He has kids that are like my age at the time. You know, so he's a little bit older. And um, every time that I would run into David in the church lobby on like a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, he would come up to you and he was just this really nice guy and he'd say, how are you? And I would always respond with like the typical, like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, good day. And he'd say, well, of course you're good. You survived the Holocaust, didn't you? And he'd say this every time I met him. He's referring, of course, to the fact that I was born after 1973. Okay, now, he was not a bad guy. I want to stress that. He was not a bad guy. He meant well. But this man never actually got to know me. Years went by. Okay, years went by, and David never got to know me. He didn't know that I grew up in full knowledge and my parents did not plan to have me and considered me an accident. My parents had had three kids, and then 10 years later, I was born unexpectedly, and my mother never hid the fact that this completely derailed her life, okay? 
Never. In all kinds of ways, as I was growing up, my parents were letting me know they would have preferred to not have me, but because of religious, uh, you know, taboos and, you know, general thoughts about these things in 1981, they had me. So when you grow up like that, it feels like garbage. You feel like garbage being told that all the time. Sometimes parents don't realize what they're giving you, okay? So here would come David every time I saw him, just arms open wide, telling me how blissed out happy I should be that I survived, like I'm alive, as if that is all it takes, <laughs> okay? And he'd trigger that old wound every time, as if being born is the point and the rest is just whatever, okay? That's what he was living out. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. The right to life is a start, okay? But the gospel says that there is so much more than just surviving. For Jesus' people, right to life shifts to a rule of life. We don't stop at just talking about a right to live. We have a rule of life that we follow. Adopt a rule of life. Involve yourself with people. Let a whole life ethic cost you something. Let it cost you. Don't talk about these things. Do them. Let it mess up your life a bit. Be with people, okay? Help babies stay with their birth families, okay? Do everything you can to help every baby born stay with their birth family, okay? That's a rule of life, all right? Get involved with people. Let it wreck your life a bit, helping people who are having a hard time, okay? Let their hard time become your hard time. Demonstrate to people what the gospel feels like. Do that. Spend your time on that. Most of the time, when we engage with these big life issues, we do it in the area of partisan politics and almost nowhere else. Okay? It's as if we have permission to talk politics, but everywhere else is taboo. Is this right? Like, this seems like the only safe place to hash these things out. The rest of it, we're supposed to just kind of leave a hush-hush, okay? And because we mostly only see this binary choice given to us in culture, it's easy to slowly align how we think and talk and feel about these things with one side or the other and lose that identity as the people of God and the kingdom of God, to lose that prophetic distance that the gospel directs us to take as we practice the ways of the kingdom, the foolish things. How should you vote in light of all of this? I have no idea. That's not what this is about. It's not what this is about. I don't pretend to know the best ways to navigate partisan politics as a Christian in America today, but I do know it would be silly to ask a pit bull to run the Iditarod. Don't put on politics a weight it was never meant to bear. Okay? What should you do if you're navigating a hard, messy choice? Listen, I personally know what it's like to be in real intense situations when none of the options look good. Both as a person and as a pastor, I'm actually in these situations quite often. And here's one thing that I repeat to myself all the time, and I want to give it to you. Evil doesn't give good options. When you're up in it in the world... It will be very rare that you have one option that looks good and simple, like absolutely the choice you should make. Most of the time when you're in it in the world, evil's not going to give you good options. They all look kind of gray. They all look bad, okay? 
And when things are really falling apart, it is rare to see one shining choice that you should make when things are not black and white and they're not even gray and they're really more like just a big, dark, bottomless pit. (laughs) Okay? You're not going to have clear, good options, but even in that mess, it is good to know that some things are true and you can hold on to them. Okay? Worth isn't relative. Value is defined by the creator, not our choices. We can walk through a valley without surrendering the truth. We can. Perhaps even more, in those times when there are no good choices, this message is most practical. We're not our own. No matter what we do, no matter what else uh, uh, people outside of us do, no matter uh, you know, what we end up choosing, no matter what happens to us, Ultimately, it is not all on us. It does not all depend on us. And that brings me an incredible amount of comfort. It takes a lot of pressure off me. Okay? Reality isn't relative. It doesn't all depend on me. Life isn't always black and white. Things are going to go one way or another. At some point, we may need to make murky decisions, but take heart. We can navigate deeper waters without abandoning the truth. We can. You can live both. It may not make sense to other people. It might not even feel like it makes sense to you at the time, but we can. Okay? We're called to do both, to live in the middle, because that's where the pain is. And where the pain is, that's where Jesus is. That's where we want to be. Okay? Now, as the band comes up, we're going to close out with an illustration that I made for our prayer team a month or so ago for our last workshop. And um, we were talking about what's our mission here at Table Church? What's the mission? What's the purpose of this team that we are forming to pray with all of you? And um, I wanted to create something to make it really simple for people to see the progression of where, where we're trying to go as a community, okay? So this pyramid illustrates where people are in relationship to God and to kingdom values, okay? Now, we made this to illustrate what we're doing here at Table Church We're going to look over this together. We'll leave it on the screen as I do. You can see it's called the three levels of attachment. Okay? Now, if you notice anything, if you are a shrewd listener to the things that I say, to the things that Phil says, we both agree on both of these things, but one of us will focus on one more than the other. So Phil will constantly be talking about the kingdom of God and understanding this kingdom reality that's right here in the midst of everything that we're doing, right? That you can reach out and grab it right here in the middle of the world. I'm into that too. But also, when you listen to me, I'm going to constantly be talking about Jesus. Like, do you even know Jesus? Okay, I'll be saying things like that a lot. So I'm constantly focused on this person, Jesus. The image of the invisible God is here with us, in the room with us, and we can talk back and forth with him. It's incredibly important. So when you put those two things together, that's really what we value in this church. And this illustration kind of shows how we can become people who both know Jesus and interact with him like it's an ordinary thing, and who are living into the kingdom right here in our midst right now. Okay, so down at the bottom, and I don't know how easy it'll be for you to read all the text But it says down at the bottom, that widest part of the pyramid, it says adjacent and not attached. Okay? So every person introduced to the gospel and the church begins here. Okay? Wherever you are in life, 
You're a person who is near to the things of God. You're near to Jesus and Jesus' people, but you don't know Jesus yourself yet. You're not saved yet. You're not yet in, okay? So you're near to God, but you don't know him yet, and you're operating out of the values of the world, okay? The world's OS. That's, that's everybody at some point. We all start there at some point. Then you get to the middle of that pyramid, and it says attached, but with the world's OS. So these are, these are people who are saved, but they primarily operate out of the world's operating system. Okay? So these are people who do know Jesus, but their lives don't change much. Okay? They still operate like the world does. Okay? We've all been there. If we know Jesus, we've all been in this situation, and we can come in and out of it, right? Um, I'd, I'd venture to guess that most of the issues between um, Christians and the world today, a lot of it comes out of this. People who claim the name of Jesus, but then live just like everybody else. Okay? Tremendous source of issue. Many Christians remain right there in the middle of the pyramid. Many of them do. Now, that top level... These are people who are attached to Jesus, and they're living into a kingdom operating system, okay? We exist to get more people here, all right? This is where people are saved, and they're operating like the kingdom does, okay, in the midst of their everyday lives. So that's what we're here for, okay? So we're, we're not just here to help people get to know Jesus and meet him and get saved. We're here for their entire lives to become like his, okay, to live into life the way that Jesus is. All right. So as you look at those three levels, go ahead and just locate yourself. Where do you mostly live? Because again, this is, this is a journey, right? You don't just end up somewhere and check off all the boxes and say you've arrived. But which direction do you generally lean? Where are you most of the time? And where are you headed? Okay, so everybody in the room can place themselves. And then as you do that, determine if you need to make a shift, if you need to move, if there's some way that you want to move further into the direction of knowing Jesus, relating with him back and forth all day long, and living into kingdom life, operating out of a kingdom OS while you live here in the world, okay? So as you do that, if you need help moving, mark it on your connection card, and we will help you. If you'd like someone to pray with you, we've got prayer team members in the room, and they'll go to the back after this, and as we do this last song, uh, you can get prayer if you need help. We had um, one of the members of our prayer team last week, Savannah, <laughs> when the service was over, she was just frustrated, and she goes, why don't more people come back here? And we, of course, know, that's like a rhetorical question, we know why more people don't go back there. But it's such a good point, right? Because there are so many places where you are during the week where uh, you don't know that you're surrounded with people that share your values, but here you do, okay? And certainly if someone ended up on the prayer team here, they probably share kingdom values, right? So everywhere else you are during the week, you can't just go up to somebody and say, hey, can you pray for me? But here you can. Okay, let it be a relief to you that you're in a room surrounded by other people who want this as much as you do, who have the same goals, who care about you. When you go up to them and ask for prayer, they will respond, okay? 
So as we have this last song, I'm going to challenge you, if you've never gone back and gotten prayer, think of something and just go back there and have someone pray over you, okay? You can do it. You can do it. But um, the band's going to play. And as we do this, if you need anything, if you've been triggered by something that I've said today, if you want to talk, just put it on your card or come find me, okay? Amen.